What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Russell Westbrook is off to Houston. It's going to be scary. Not for us. No! James Harden just caught a body here in Los Angeles. And Westbrook is on the freeway. All right, we are back. Fifth time's the charm, I think, uh, with Jonathan Fagan. I've never had this many technical difficulties recording a podcast. And I was actually just talking about it the other day. I, I, I feel like I, I, I messed up myself here. Yeah, you never do that. You know, it's like the, the sports writer who says, gee, I hope the game doesn't go into overtime. It's like, oh, right. come on. You were three minutes till deadline. You do not say those words. And so, yeah, you did that. You did the podcast version of that. Yeah. So I'm going to be repeating a lot of things that you've heard before. So I'm sorry, but we have no other course of recourse. So we're we're just going to have to roll with it. Um, So I kind of want to run through Houston's offseason with you. But I think we can't have this conversation without discussing what happened in the postseason. I feel like they've been a disappointment in the postseason, the Rockets. And I'm not just saying that because of how they performed in the Lakers series. I'm also saying I think that OKC series was not how I imagined it would go. I thought it would go six games, but probably more five to six in that range. I didn't. I, I wasn't picturing seven games. I did. I picked Rockets in seven. Was okay. my prediction. But you know that was partly based on uh, Russ being out. Uh, I figured he would be out for four games. I didn't know they were going to win the first two so impressively. If I knew that, I wouldn't have picked them to go seven. And you're right, of course, that, you know, I I was talking to my son today about this, big Rocket fan. How do you view this season? And what I meant was good, bad, terrible. Yeah, you know, but he just said the obvious answer being disappointing. Well, yeah, that's too easy. I mean, yes, the Rockets are... And I think I use this phrase in one of my stories, a team of unmet expectations, because they don't lose. They first make you expect more. So they don't lose to the Lakers in five games. They win game one impressively, and then they lose in five games. You know, if somehow they always seem to find a way to make people watching them expect more, and then they go out. If you step back, I would say, no, losing to Lakers in five games, they're not as good as the Lakers. They, they, this, this series, I don't think it was underachieving as much as getting exposed. I think we saw the gulf that remains between the two of them. And yeah, they got smashed in three of those last four games. And so it's not just losing in five games. But my overall reaction is they shouldn't look at this as we're better than that. They should look at it as we're not as good as we thought we were. 
So I think that's for two reasons. Uh, one, their defense just isn't good enough. Like I think a lot of their defense in the playoffs was kind of smoke and mirrors. Like they've been middle of the pack defensively for the past two years, and they seem to get better once the playoffs comes around. But I think old habits kind of creep in, and they just weren't good enough in the Lakers series. Like the Lakers exposed them, as you said. And I don't think you can depend reliably on flipping the switch defensively. I, there's only been like a couple of teams that's, that have been able to do that. Like, like I, I think the Shaq and Kobe Lakers were a team that's been able to do that. And I don't think the Rockets are one of those teams. And I think the most effective defense is build good habits starting from training camp, have the, have the requisite players to defend like that in training camp. And then once they get to the postseason, they've they've already established that okay, we are an elite defense. It's not like you start round one, okay, and they're defending like an elite defense, so we should consider them an elite defense. It's like no, what they've been on the whole, their larger sample size is, is what they are. And I think I bought into what they were in the in the first round too much. And I think what in reality, I mean, they're probably what they were in the regular season. They're probably around like an average defense, and an, an average defense is just not good enough to beat this Lakers team. No, I think they were better than average, They, but not elite by any standard. Um, because this year, no, there is no such thing as flipping the switch. It, it, teams that think that are just fooling themselves, and they're sort of almost giving themselves an excuse to defend badly or without enough energy and intensity and effort and commitment during the season. So the flip the switch idea is just wrong. This season is unlike every other season. You don't normally have a four and a half month break in the season right after changing your roster and then another training camp. So they had a better chance to be a better defensive team than they had been. And I think they were a better defensive team than they had been. Actually, they were better from late January till mid-March than they were in the first months of the season. And so I would say they were better than average, not good enough. But then if you add the rebounding component in, which many people do consider part of defense, is finishing the defensive possession with a defensive rebound. I mean, they're, they're terrible offensive rebounding. But even just the defensive rebounding, when they went small, they were able to do that because they have guards who defend like big men. In James's case, he defends better like a big man than he does as a little guy. He's a good Defensive player, very good in the low post. They don't have, and you know, Eric Gordon is much better than people think in the low post. They're they're a pretty good team at doing all the switching and defending post ups and all of that. They don't have perimeter players who rebound like big men. James is better than his position as a rebounder, and of course, Russ is, uh, you know, way better than point guards, but. Eric Gordon does not. Eric Gordon rebounds like a guard. Austin Rivers rebounds like a guard. Daniel House isn't a high volume rebounder. PJ Tucker certainly isn't a high volume rebounder as a center. Robert Covington. There's a lot of guys who don't rebound above their weight class, and so they were always going to be shorthanded as, in rebounding. It was always going to be a weakness. They hoped they could make up for what possessions they give back by taking some away by forcing turnovers. They did to a degree. They did to a very good degree, but not enough. It's also demoralizing to have a good defensive possession and give up an offensive rebound. And it's draining to have to defend for 40 straight seconds, 42, 48 even sometimes. Well, no, it's not like that anymore. 
with the shot clock resetting to 14. But even just 30 to 38 seconds straight and doing it over and over again, it's tough. Giving up defensive rebounds, it adds up. It, It really does. And that was the shortcoming they accepted but never could overcome. Yeah, it's a very new school philosophy, this idea of trying to make up for what you're not getting in rebounding with, with forcing turnovers. Like, I think the Warriors were the only team I've been able to see do that. And they've only, they only did that once. They only did that for one season and effectively be a good defense. And the Rockets, I, and listen, like, they're not changing their philosophy. Going forward, they're going to play like this. Uh, they've structured their roster to basically tell the world, like, we're not changing. We're going to be like this next season. And that's going to be interesting to see if they can make up for that rebounding component next year will be something well, to watch. If you want to jump ahead to future seasons, you know, you can play with this philosophy, but with a bigger guy, you know, now it's hard because there's not a lot of centers who space the floor, you know, right. Actually, as we speak, Kelly Olenek is standing around the three point line. And so, well, he just, just went to the low post. But, you know, there are some, and it doesn't have to be an actual center, but, and it's in their case, really hard to get. But couldn't you get a guy who can be a big like man? A Serge Ibaka type? Floor? Oh, that would be terrific. You know, although, who the, you know, how far off is he from where he starts to fall off? But, Right now, the Rockets remain a small window team, you know, a win now team. So maybe you don't worry that much about when a guy falls off, but certainly a Serge Ibaka type. Uh, So where you can space the floor as you must do if you need Russ to be great, but also get some of the benefit of of, uh, having a big man. And I think they need to do other things, too. But on just the subject of rebounding and playing small ball, quote unquote small ball, it's you can do it. There's just other ways to do it, and it's hard to get the kind of players who can do it because there's not a lot. You know, we lost Cliff Robinson, you know, this summer, in a continuation of 2020 being horrible. I always think of Cliff Robinson. That's the guy. You know, you find one of those. You know, not a lot of them out there, but. Yeah, it's it can be done. Yeah, and I, I just don't think this idea of picking up guys midseason to try and improve what your roster is weak in works unless you have that culture already instilled in you, right? Like I well, think like like I think getting Austin Rivers and Robert Covington and Jeff Green, yeah, those guys those are guys that can help you defensively. But if you don't have that culture built in already, like they can only do so much. And I don't think that the Rockets had that when they brought those guys in midseason. I thought they helped once they got to the postseason. Well there were different I, situations. Austin came in because Chris Paul was hurt. Sure, and but so, he, he definitely helped their defense, I would say. Yeah, I mean, but it was an emergency, like as Daniel Old House was when he first started, because a lot of guys were hurt then. And so, you know, that that was different than your typical February pickup, the Jeff Green, Damari Carroll, uh, you know, guys that they've done over the years, Joe Johnson. The problem with those guys is they're free agents for a reason. You're not going to hit every time. But, boy, if they could get Jeff Green every February, that's fine. You do that every time. It's just that sometimes it's going to be a guy who just won't pan out. Yeah, and the the second reason I think they underperformed 
is I think their their clutch offense was not good enough. And if you remember back to the these fourth quarters for the Rockets in the postseason, they entered a lot of them with the lead, and they just could not score efficiently enough to close it out. I'm going to read something to you, and this is this is Houston's clutch offense every single year of Mike D'Antoni's tenure. So the first year, 2017, 117.6, really good. Uh, 2018, 100, you know, not not good, not very good. 2019, 98.5. 2020, 70.6. So I have a theory, and you tell me what you think. You're talking about the, the playoff numbers now. Yeah, these are the playoff yeah. clutch numbers. So I have a theory. You tell me what you think. So these numbers almost directly coincide with them running less and less pick and roll every year and more and more isolation. And my theory is that they just become way too predictably offensively in the regular season, isolating James Harden with three shooters around them. Like that's going to lead to a good defense. That's going to that's going to lead to a good offense the regular season. But by the fourth quarter, these big playoff teams with opposing teams already knowing what you're going to do, they're used to defending it. It's not as effective anymore. And listen, every team is going to try to isolate their best players in the fourth quarter. This is this isn't new in the NBA. It ha- it's happening for decades, right? I just think they need more diversity offensively. So by the time they get, they go to these fourth quarters, Harden's better rested and, and these defenses aren't used to seeing it anymore. Like I think I believe the days of Harden averaging like 35 points a game and having like a 36% usage and isolating like crazy. Like I think those need to be behind the Rockets for them to, to move forward offensively to where they need to be in the postseason. Well, I think they've, Ask too much of James. James, I mean, there's so much to unpack there, kind of where you went. Uh, so going in reverse order, uh, they, I think they they ask too much of James. James makes everything easier for those around him, but nobody makes things easier for him. And their offense doesn't. And mm-hmm. the thing about James is he's so good because he makes the difficult plays, the difficult, really tough shots. But now you're having to rely on those. And that's really tough to do. And that's why he sometimes, you know, drops out these duds. Like people always say it's in the playoffs. Boy, he had these, he collapsed. He, you know, he had this game. He had that, you know, two for 11, let's say, in the second to last game, game four. Yeah, but, you know, he drops those during the season too. This isn't failing to live up to the moment. That That's James. He has some of those games. Uh, and it's because he relies on such difficult shots all the time. So I would agree. They need to add things to the offense that are built towards getting some easier shots by attacking the defense that becomes available better than they do now. For, for instance, against the Lakers, the Lakers said, all right, we're going to keep a guy at the rim. And we're going to close out totally, total commitment on closing out on threes. If you beat us in between, let's see if you can do it. Well, they don't have players who can do that. And they don't really have an offense that takes advantage of what the Lakers did. That's something that needs to, I think, change. You need to be able to do other things. And that has to be from the roster construction. People think it's Dan Tony doesn't allow mid-range shots. Of course he does. But you got to be good at it. You, there's too many guys, and there have been for years, you don't want Trevor Reza driving to his shot, you know, two, three dribble jump shots. You don't want P.J. Tucker, Robert Covington, uh, even Ben McLemore. We, we can go down the list. Tabo Cephalosha, Luke Baamute. You don't want all these guys 
taking three dribble jump shots because that's the way this team was built with stationary shooters working in the orbit around James. And I think that would help is to be able to have more ways to attack. However, all that said, those numbers you read were very good, but the Rockets did the same things in the regular season and they were very good in the clutch. Uh, They were sixth best offensively during the regular season in clutch offense. And I believe they were second best. They were not. They were third best in net rating in the regular season. So they got worse. (laughs) You know, uh, what changed? Part of it is, especially in terms of net rating, is the Thunder were so good. But to me, what I think changed, their offense was not what it was the whole time in the bubble, the whole time in the restart. So it wasn't as good in the clutch. Well, it wasn't as good in the first, second, or third quarters either as as it used to be, as, as you would expect it to be. And that goes back to some of those other issues that, you know, people say they rely on their three-point shooting. Well, yeah, because they got a bunch of three-point shooters. And they don't have great three-point shooters. They have a, quite a few good ones and some that are not bad. They don't have great three-point shooters. So, but that's who they are. That's what they got to take. And so your offense, it's remarkable that it's been as good as it has been for as long as it's been. By the time they got to the playoffs, it wasn't great. You know, it was not a great offensive team since the restart. Yeah, but the the numbers I just read off, it's not just the 2020 playoffs. Like they haven't been good in the playoffs in crunch time in two years offensively. Right, but like, how do you explain that they were good offensively? For, you know, there were 32 games in the regular season that had clutch situations. So they were good for 32 games and rotten for 12. Yeah, my explanation there would be like teams just scout you out and defend you and get to know you better in a seven game series. So by games two, three, and four. You know, I remember I talked to Doc about this once and Steve Kerr, I talked to him about this once. Everybody knows it's like this notion of, well, they're in the small ball. It's going to take teams a while to know how they want to deal with it. Or playoff series, then they really know. Those guys both said, we know. We go against small ball just because we don't do it for four quarters. We've done it for 20 minutes, 24 minutes, 30 minutes in games. We've done it against the Warriors small ball. When we know we have to have a game plan, it's not like we didn't before. So now they're doing it for 48, but, you know, we did have a plan where they were doing it for 30. And so I I don't buy that, that they figured it out. Now, I do think the Lakers had a plan and they went to it and it was perfect for what the Rockets tried to do and the mismatch of the personnel. And that can happen in a playoff series when you don't have, okay, if you're going to do that, we'll do this. The Rockets don't have the we'll do this. Right. And that's kind of where the diversity part of my statement comes from. Like, I think if they had more diversity, it would be harder to adjust, right? It would yeah, be hard. That's the part I agree with you. That right. They need, they, they have so much of the same strengths, you know, stands, a lot of standstill shooters. And, you know, maybe they can run more actions. Uh, they can run more actions and try and get Eric Gordon different catch and shoot shots in different places. Uh, or you know, they can do more things, and certainly for for James. 
but yeah, I think they need to balance the roster. Yeah. And, and again, like the days of Harden just averaging a ridiculous point total year after year after year, like, like I think that can no longer be their formula. I think, I think you have to find some diversity. You have to get some other guys involved in terms of the ball handling responsibilities and the point creation responsibilities or have some more cutting. Cause I really think if, if the Rockets had just cut a little bit more in this series, I think it would have really helped them. Right. Like I, I think the, the Rockets, like once the Lakers t- ran them off the three point line, like they just did not have that second switch. And th- it was, they they were kind of dragging their feet in mud a little bit, and I just thought if they had some more more cutting in this, right? If if they had some more actions in here written in this offense that you know had guys like Robert Covington or Eric Gordon or or somebody cutting to the basket, uh, so once once these teams take away these three point shots, they have some diversity. I'm not just talking like mid range shot diversity. I'm talking layups, right? Like lay, layups are also a form of diversity. I think people often talk about the Rockets as if you can only shoot three pointers or mid rangers, and the Rockets limit themselves to three pointers. Well, no, they shoot three pointers, layups, and free throws. And for some reason, I felt like they did not have another uh, another way to get layups in this series. They took a lot of difficult floaters, and they took a lot of contested. Uh, layups and they and they passed out of a lot of really really tough angles, and I thought that really hurt them in this series. Well, you know, cutting hard cutting can even set up open threes. Yes, yeah. you you beat a guy like a backdoor cut when he was closing out at the three point line. Somebody comes over to adjust. So yeah, you get that pass, but you don't have a lane to the basket. That's okay. Now a guy's wide open for three instead of all the contested threes they had to take in the Lakers series. So yeah, absolutely. I think they need more cutting against that kind of uh, defense. They need more guys who are prone to do that too. But I, I think that is something that they can evolve to a little bit as well, uh, even with the core that they have. Uh, they definitely, uh, we both agree, they need to have more options. Hey, if it works to do the, the options that they do have, James goes off, you got to trap him. You keep the lane wide open. Russ is your attack the rim guy, which a big factor we shouldn't just entirely forget. Russ was sensational from New Year's till March 12th, and he was not the same in the playoffs for you know physical reasons, I think. But yeah, they knew, I think they do need more. If that's the plan that worked for a while this season works, great. But you need a plan B that you're good at. You know, they couldn't have that because they weren't very good at the other things. Yeah, and, and the Rockets, once they faced, you know, I'll be, I'll be curious to hear what you have to say about this because I think they got surprised when the Lakers started throwing hard doubles because they hadn't seen that in a while, right? It's not like they hadn't seen that before, but they hadn't seen that, you know, that guy cheating off of Russ to defend Harden. I thought they hadn't seen that for a while. So I thought I thought the first time they tried it they got surprised. And then and then they they sprinkled in their counters, right? They had the man in the middle, they tried looking for shooters, and it just didn't work as well as it did in the regular season. And I thought the Lakers did a really good job at that. Like they, the Lakers to their credit were so quick at getting back to shooters, like extremely quick. And I thought even when they tried to having the guy in the middle and try passing out of it, like the guy the, the, the Lakers were just right there. They were right there to defend the threes. And that's why you need, you know, you can attack a closeout and you might not get all the way to the rim, but then you pass out and you do it again and again. And you have time to do that if you start your offense early, which they never played with the pace that they need to. 
Pace doesn't just mean fast break. It means getting into your offense and playing with a high tempo within the offense. You know, drive and kick, drive and kick again, drive and kick a third time if you need to. Uh, and you can pick and roll without Clint Capella. You know, you might not get all the way to the rim, but you can get, again, a, that forces some cutting that you were talking about before. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of things they sort of have to add. Um, yeah, they, but I think some of it also needs to be with a little more balance in the roster to where you don't have quite as much of your rotation all standstill shooters who shouldn't do anything but standstill shoot. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gives you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you the full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, and you can pause your account at any time. And there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads to totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager on than anyone else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Right. And I, I do think some of the guys on their roster are capable of cutting. Like I, th- I thought Covington is a guy who I think, it, if, if he were asked to, I think he could be a good cutter. Uh, Eric Gordon's a guy who I think, if he were asked to, could be a good cutter. And I, you're right that they do need some more dynamism in their roster. And I think th- you know that's something they'll probably look for in the offseason. And you know we we've been talking about all these wrinkles they need to add to their offense. Uh, they're going to need a coach to add these wrinkles uh, into their offense. So let's talk coaching free agency. So as everyone knows by now, uh, Mike D'Antoni has been told by the Rockets he w- has told the Rockets he will not return next season and the Rockets have to fill a vacancy now for the first time since 2016 when they hired Mike. Uh, there's already been names reported, former Rockets head coach turned ABC broadcaster Jeff Van Gundy, former Cavs head coach Tyron Lue, current Clippers assistant Sam Cassell, and Lakers assistant uh, coach Jason Kidd are among the names we've heard so far. So two questions. Without naming anybody in specific, because we'll get into that in a minute, what kind of coach do you believe the Rockets are looking for, and what and what kind of search do you think they're going to conduct? Like, is it going to be a 2016 style search where they cast a wide net, or will it be more selective this time around? Well, I think I, I know they'd like to do the wide net and tons of interviews. the The reason they might not be able to, it, let's say, fairly quickly, they focus on Tyler. 
kind of like they did last time, which was a Leslie Alexander thing, but they focused very early on Mike D'Antoni. If they do that this time, well, you might be competing with other teams. You know, it's not certain who the best job is. You know, sometimes the Rockets are the best job, and you can make a case they are, but you can also make a case. In fact, that was my story today. What's the best job out there? Uh, is it the Sixers? Is it the Pacers? Is it the Pelicans? There's a lot of good jobs out there right now. Yeah, the one thing we know is it's not the Bulls. But right. So if they, let's say they focus on Ty Lue, do they have to move quickly um, to, to try and get them? You know, it's one of the reasons – Mike stepped away. Let go. Just go start your search. Don't don't wait two weeks to start your search. You're going to need to uh, go do it. Um, and so I don't know the answer to that question. Is it going to be like 2016, or will they have to move more rapidly? It sort of depends how they feel as they do their research, and you know if they focus on someone. Typically, Daryl though, you know everything about Daryl Morey. People think it's analytics, analytics. No, that's not quite right. It's information, information, information. Give me more information. And that's why he uses analytics, because that's a way to get more information. But I'm now just talking basketball-wise. He wants his basketball people to chime in, too, without the analytics, because give me more. Give me more. Let me go scout. Let me go see more. Let me go to Europe. Let me go watch college games. More information, more information. That's it. So it's never just analytics because everything is about give me more data. Well, that's how he wants. I would want to do a coaching search. You know, don't give me just information about one guy or a feeling about one guy, two or three. Let me get a feeling for as many as I can. I think it would be difficult for him to move off that kind of thinking, which is the, the to make the best decisions by making the most informed decisions. And, you know, I will say. You know, I just saw a tweet from somebody saying, well, he hasn't picked a good coach the last three times, maybe this time, you know. Well, yeah, he has. You know, Mike D'Antoni isn't a good coach. He's a great coach. There's there's a reason people are going to want him, and there's a reason he's won so many games. And, you know, it's just ridiculous if you can't tell. Certainly Rick Adelman, you can make a Hall of Fame argument for Rick Adelman. You can make a Hall of Fame argument for Mike D'Antoni. So the notion he hasn't picked well in coaches, I, I don't get that. Uh, he's that's what, he's done that well. Uh, but how? Then going back to your first question, what will he want? What will he look for? I, I think they're going to want you know one Daryl thing that he has said in the past: the rule of opposites. He doesn't believe in that, that you know that. Coach t- teams typically okay. The last coach was uh, never a player, and he was you know been around four times, and so now he's in his fifties or now he's in his sixties. I want to get a young guy who was a player and wasn't. A, no, don't pick the opposite. And he's always said that. That's yeah, I've that. heard that from before. Yeah, that's his thing. That uh, don't why limit yourself. That said, I, I bet you. They're going to pick a guy who was a coach, a player rather. That I don't think they're going to pick a guy who who worked his way up. Although they do like Kenny Atkinson for sure, uh, they absolutely like Kenny Atkinson. But I don't think they're going to do that. I bet they're going to pick a guy. I think they're going to pick a guy who is a good relationship builder. Which nobody's better than Mike D'Antoni, but that was something Daryl really liked about 
Mike D'Antoni can build really good relationships, but use that to be very demanding. You know, there's sort of the pop way where pop is the guy who will absolutely squeeze the stuffing out of a player in a hug, you know, that he's the guy who's going to hug his player and chew him out harder than anybody too. I don't know if they're going to want pop level of chew out. <laughs> I don't know if there is anybody at pop's level, but they're going to want a, a guy who has so tight with his guys and has such a good relationship that he can also be demanding. Uh, I think that's kind of the way it is. I don't think it's going to be based on an offensive philosophy because you're going to have to be able to run a philosophy that they believe in. And they believe in the three layup free throw philosophy. They believe in spacing the floor. They have to believe in that because they have Russell Westbrook is incredibly important. So that's going to be sort of a starting point. That's not going to determine who it is. I think it's going to be more the other way. One thing that that I wrote down from from the top of your uh, your answer there was that Daryl's an information guy, right? He likes collecting these informations from these wide net searches, and I'm just kind of curious like, how valuable is that information they gathered in 2016? Like, like how many coaches do you think are going to be repeat candidates this season from when the Rockets went out and searched for their guy in 2016? Well, I think they're interested in Stephen Silas, who was a finalist last time. I think they interviewed Adrian Griffin last time. And, yes. Yeah. And Adrian Griffin is the real deal and just a really good guy. And, you know, that sort of fits the – he's such a good guy. Players will absolutely like him a lot. You know, everybody likes him a lot. The organization will like him a lot. The town will. But, you know, he was brought up in the Tom Thibodeau coaching tree, you know, which goes back to the Jeff Van Gundy coaching tree, which goes back to the Pat Riley coaching tree. I would imagine he's capable of being very demanding. If that's part of your history, uh, you know, he worked, he sort of established a lot of his reputation on the league working for Tom. So, you know, if you've got some tibs in you, you're going to be demanding. And of course, like I say, that goes all the way back to, you know, Mr. Quote Culture himself, Pat Riley. And so, but as good a guy as you'll ever know. Uh, Darvin Ham, I don't think he interviewed last time, but. Uh, you know, he's worked for Mike Budenholzer, who comes from the pop coaching tree. And there's a lot of similarities there. And again, a great guy, not a good guy, a great guy. Uh, and so those guys, some of those guys fit. Uh, Rex Kalamian was part of last time's interviews and was very impressive and has a good relationship with James and Russ from the Oklahoma City days. Uh, Adrian Griffin does too, Oklahoma City with Russ and uh, world championship teams with James. Uh, so Rex Kalamian would be a guy from the last coaching search. And there's a few names I think didn't get very far last time that you could probably leave out this time too. Right. And a lot of those guys, you know, I think it's pretty notable. Like these guys have kind of moved up the ladder in the background of these past four years, right? Like Steven Silas is now an associate head coach, right? Like the Rockets were considering making him the lead assistant to Mike D'Antoni. That, like that's how far he's come, right? Like, he doesn't even need to worry about that anymore. He He's already pretty secure as a lead assistant in Dallas. And a lot of these coaches have moved up the ladder in that time. So I, I, it'll be interesting to see how much that helps them in these searches uh, so let's get into specifics. Like, what name to you? Not not the Rockets. What what name to you do you find most interesting for this job? And do you think the Rockets are going into this with a particular name in mind? 
not with one particular mind. That would be so opposite of Maury. But, I mean, Ty Lu is, you know, pretty much on the top of every list, you know. So I would think he's right there and it's very small. I mean, I pretty much, I'm very confident. Uh, Ty Lu, Jacques Vaughn, and a third name that is escaping me at the moment, <laughs> pretty high up there, uh, as definitely want to go learn and get to know. And, uh, you know, so you can put them, but that's not really what you asked. Uh, do I find most intriguing? Um, I, I can't help it. Maybe Fisdale, by the way, as the third name. Um, Fisdale's good. You know, he's got, he made the mistake of going to the Knicks. You know, it just, you can never judge a guy by what happens in New York or with the Knicks anyway. Um, and I like Kenny Atkinson so much that, you know, it would be fun for me to, you know, he's, he's just a really good coach and he's always been terrific. I mean, obviously, I, I, I'm very fond of, of Ham and Adrian Griffin. I know them both well. I've known Darvin Ham for 25 years. You know, I've known him since he first was starting off at Texas Tech, and I was there when he smashed the backboard. And for years, I'd always go say hi when – you know, I didn't mention Ime Aduka. I'm sorry, Ime Aduka. Um You know, big-time guy. You know, he's going to be a head coach. Wes Unsell, Jr., uh, I don't know personally Wes Unsell Jr., uh, but uh, I like the idea of some of those assistant coaches just because it's kind of fun. It's different, and, you know. It's for me, I can look at things like that differently than a fan would. I don't care about fun and different. I just want to win it a lot, you know. But and then Stephen Silas is just one of the most impressive guys you'll ever be around. He's just he's so smart and so well prepared. Uh, you know, people will really like what they see. Talk about a guy who will win the press conference. You know, he will definitely win the press conference. But the guys I know best are Adrian Griffin and Darvin Ham and, and Kenny Atkinson. Uh, you know, I, I like Ty Lu. I always say hi to him. We visited sometimes in summer league. Uh, you know what I will say? Not only – I think Daryl has a good track record of hiring coaches. Those are good names. And Jock Vaughn. Oh, my gosh. Uh you know, I covered him at Kansas, and he is really well thought of around the league. And then he went out and was impressive in the bubble uh, for the Nets. Uh, but he is really high, well thought of, uh, and he would be that type who would have the really good relationship with guys, but be very demanding, uh, you know, who could push and, and have them want to do it for him. So those are good names. I mean, I, I'm sort of boasting on all of them, but it should give people, I think, a feeling they can do well. They could do very well with, with the names we just mentioned. And, you know, Jeff was a guy I'd hire if I owned a team, but I, I don't think they're going to go there. Well, so, well that's interesting because I, if I were to place betting odds, and, and I, I guess I'm wrong now, I, I had Jeff as the guy I thought they were most likely to key in on. So you you think you think that's a guy you think they're they're not interested in right now or like they're not seriously considering for this job? Well, I, I don't think anybody. I mean, they're just starting this. They had their their sort of strategy sessions today, you know. So they, in other words, if Daryl was on instead of me, and you pumped him full of truth serum, I don't think he could answer who they're seriously 
aiming for at this point. Um, they know Jeff really well. Daryl and he have a real good rep, uh, relationship. I think Jeff, if people thought, you know, he's kind of trained in the 90s and he coached 10, 15 years ago, and I think he showed, no, no, he's kept up, you know, with the work he did for USA Basketball. His, his, not, his philosophies and styles can work now because uh, he, he can adjust them to work now. So, yeah, I think, he'd be, like I said, if I was an owner, you know, he'd be my, one of my first calls. But I, my gut says I would look more towards former player. Uh, you know, again, Daryl says he doesn't do the rule of opposites. He thinks it's a stupid thing to do. But it always seems to work out that way for not just him, but just in general around the league. Uh, maybe it won't be full opposite, but I, I, if I had to bet my money, I would bet a different way. No, that's interesting. Like, so I thought the Rockets, and I, I still kind of think this to some extent. I, I think the Rockets are going to be looking at someone with some head coaching experience, and I think they'll interview all these assistants we're talking about. But ultimately, I think you know Harden's thirty-one years old. I think they believe they don't have time to waste. They don't want someone learning on the job, and I think they want someone who's done it before. But with that being said, like, can I give you a name and you tell me what you think about it? Yeah, let me just interject something. You. There's a very good chance. That's very good logic. That does lead to what they won't do. They won't be hiring a guy who hasn't been coaching. In other words, the Steve Nash type hire. Mm-hmm. They're not going to do it. Right. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name someone, and I just want to hear what you think about it. What about Chris Finch? Because this is a guy who's the Rockets discovered in Germany. They brought him up through their G League team, our guest D League team at the time. He was on Kevin McHale's coaching staff. He knows James Harden. Everybody's talked about how it's only a matter of time before he becomes a head coach. He's been a lead assistant on two different coaching staffs now. He's thought of as this really creative, like offensive savant type. Like, why not Houston? Do you think he'll even get a chance to be interviewed for this job? Oh, uh, definitely on the get a chance to interview. Uh, and he and Daryl seem to get along real well. Um, you know, I've been around them together. <laughs> you know, it, Chris was giving him crap about something. <laughs> so uh, you, you got to have a pretty good relationship to kid the GM like that. And uh, so, uh, and everything you said is very true. He, he really does run a very good uh, offense, uh, you know, two different places under very good coaches. Well, three, if you count here. Uh, and so, no, he's, he's the real deal. Again, I wouldn't predict it for the same reason I said, I think they're going to look for a guy who's played in the league, you know, that, uh, I, I shouldn't say look for a guy. I think they'll end up with a guy because I do think they'll interview him. I'd be, I'd be shocked if they didn't, uh, Daryl really likes him. You know, he's a, he's a good coach. And when you've had a coach on your staff, you know, you know, they, those guys live together for months and months and months. You know who's got the goods. It's sort of like Brett Gunning. Right. They know, no. they know he's got the goods. You know, mm-hmm. he's worked under three different coaches here, you know, coaches who had no relationship with him before. And Mike D'Antoni, who knows offense, trusted him to do so much of the offense. You know, he's they know he's got the goods. And Chris Finch is the same way. Yeah, and Brett Gunnings is another guy who, like, if he doesn't get a like an oper- a head coaching interview somewhere uh, in the next two years, I think he's going to be a lead assistant pretty soon here. 
I, I think Brad Gunning's on that track. He'd be a great lead assistant for the kind of coach who either wants someone to run the offense and someone to write, run the defense. You know, that, right. that kind of guy. Uh, you know, the best, you know, Larry Bird with uh, with the Pacers uh, kind of thing. And he, so he let him run the offense. Or a guy who, okay, I'm going to run the defense. Like Mike, in the beginning, ran the offense. And Bistelic ran the defense. If you got a guy who says, you know what? I'll, I got the defense. I need someone to run that offense. Chris Finch would be, or Brett Gunning would be terrific at that. Right. And I was just about to say, like, if they hired Jeff, like, it would not surprise me at, a, at all if Brett Gunnings is that guy. Uh, That'd be cool. <laughs> yeah, as his lead assistant. So I went back and I did the reading this morning, and you were actually covering the team at the time. Um, so that was Maury's first big decision as a general manager, right? Like, the Rockets got eliminated by the Jazz in round one in 2007. Maury got promoted to GM May 1st and had to make the Van Gundy decision on May 14th. And that's a quick turnaround. It, 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 it makes your head spin a little bit. And that's been kind of, I've been kind of thinking, you know, like how much does Maury think about that? Like, do you, do you think Maury thinks like that was the right call at that point? It was Les's call. Okay. He was the guy who made it happen. But they would talk, but Jeff could have kept his job. If Jeff convinced, like it, it wasn't that Les said fire him. And okay, I got to do it. And it certainly wasn't that Daryl said, yeah, he's not going to work out. What happened, they wanted to move right away. And, you know, Jeff was Jeff. The, the, after these guys, after they get eliminated, it, it's like visiting the boxer in the hospital after the title fight. You know, it's like, no, he's not ready for another fight right now. You know, he, and, Jeff wasn't ready for the conversations in that first 48 hours after the Jazz won in game seven here. And so he said, well, you know, okay, we're going to start looking. And Jeff didn't make a real argument that you shouldn't. And then, of course, they sort of got on with Rick Adelman pretty early in the next, well, kind of towards the end of the, the following week. And Jeff said, well, you know, Rick Adelman's great. You know, if you get Rick Adelman, great. And it just, it, it, to me, it might have happened had Daryl said, Jeff, let's not even talk about it. I want to talk to you, but let's not even talk about it for X number of days. Instead, there was like a long drive. I can't remember if they took it together or they talked on the cell phone, but there was some drive where they had a long conversation. And it just, I don't think Jeff was ready to make the real case that, yes, I want to be back. Yes, I should be back. And that led them to begin a search, which eventually pushed them apart, rather than Daryl deciding, I got to fire the guy. And in a lot of ways, the reason I went into all that detail, to me, I kind of wonder if a lot of Mike's decision was the same. I'm just floored by, you know, the way a coach feels after the season ends. It's it's hard. I mean, I, everyone I've known, it, it's been that way. When you're losing the playoffs, when you're losing the regular, when it ends at the end of the regular season, you have a lot of time to get used to the idea. But it just they are knocked down, and Mike is so much more competitive than people seem to understand. 
I can imagine he was pretty hit hard. Uh, and I know Jeff was too. And Jeff, you can't tell as much because he speaks so well that if Daryl had those long conversations, yeah, he sounds great. He sounds like Jeff. We we know how well, you know how articulate, well spoken he is, the way he sort of shares all his thoughts. But to me, I always thought he was he was really hit by that loss, that game seven loss. So that's how that came apart, as opposed to Daryl wishing I didn't fire him. Uh, that uh, Dar- I don't think it was a Daryl fired him type of situation. Well, yeah, that's really insightful because I-, I was actually going back and I was reading, like trying to find anything I could find about that process. And all all the articles were yours, right? Like at the time, uh, you were the main guy on the beat, and I-, I what I what I came away was like it seemed like Jeff didn't really give a clear indication uh, as to what his next decision would would be, right? Like, and his public statements were like no I, I i told them uh i would want to be back or something something along those lines and oh, I'll, I'll knock your socks off a little on this then when rudy stepped down he was changing his mind every four hours for days i had this one time i went for a walk in, in sort of a neighborhood in san antonio for like an hour and a half and i think it changed three times on that walk uh now i wasn't walking with him <laughs> but i was making phone calls and uh you know, so when Rudy stepped down, you know, the greatest coach in franchise history, Hall of Famer, icon, uh, he was changing his mind. I mean, it is hard when you get eliminated. And, of course, Rudy had other factors. He had some health factors and things. But he was changing his mind a bunch of times. So right. It's it's These guys spend a lot of emotion to do this. And when you're a coach, it, it – Head coach, I mean, they sometimes have to act like they don't, you know, to sort of reassure their team and everybody else. But to me, they just internalize it, and it's rough. And that's a lot what happened with Jeff, though. And you sort of talked about the long layoff with Jeff and how he hasn't coached since 2007. And that's kind of been the main knock on him. Like, that's that's what you hear, right? Whenever Jeff gets brought up for a coaching job, you always hear, well, look, this guy hasn't coached in 13 years. Like, how is he going to coach in the modern NBA? And I'm just kind of like, yeah, but this guy hasn't been in a cave. Like, he's been watching basketball <laughs> for the past tw- for the past 15 no, years. Unlike the rest of us who've been watching basketball, but from our caves. Right, yeah, like it's not—it's not like this guy is like not watching the NBA every day. I mean, he's—he's he's calling these games, he's watching basketball in his off time, and he was great with what he did with USA Basketball with that qualifying team. Mm-hmm. Just remarkable work. It's well known around the league now that people watched it, and so no, they, he's so good, you know. And, but you know, the thing that Les felt about Jeff was. Yes, he says I'm ready to do this style now. But Les wanted to run, 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 run. He wanted seven seconds or less. And he felt, yeah, but when you're in pressure situations, you're going to go back to your training, your your long-time preferences. I, I think Les was either – he might not have been wrong then, but he would be if he was making the decision. If somebody said that now, I think that would be wrong. The whole league has changed. As D'Antonio has said, Players have changed. You know, you can't do the things that Jeff was doing, you know, with the Knicks in the late 90s. You know, it's just, it's a totally different game. The the athletes are different. So I don't think that should be a concern. 
Um, yeah, and Jeff hasn't had a run roster before, right? Like his rosters have been built to play the way they've been they've, they've played. You know, like he had Yao Ming, he had Patrick Ewing. Like these guys aren't going to run up and down the floor like that. These guys have to play a specific style to succeed. And I thought that knock was kind of ridiculous. Like I think like coaches are a lot smarter than we give them credit for. And they craft their offenses around their best players. And and if you talk to them, that's what they're going to tell you. Like this is why I ran the offense. These are the players I had to work with. This these are their strengths. And this is why I, I decided to play this way. And I think that that knock on Jeff is kind of, I don't think it's correct. I mean, and and if you if you go back to some of his public statements, I mean, this Jeff was way ahead of the pick and roll on a lot of coaches. Like, mm-hmm. if you talk about like the kind of offense he preferred to play, he he talked about okay, so the best offense in the NBA. I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at some of his quotes. Is the best offense in the NBA is a post up. The second best offense in the NBA is a pick and roll, and. Like so, this guy was way ahead of that kind of stuff, and he's really knowledgeable. He's really intelligent, and I think this idea that he wouldn't be able to coach a modern day offense, especially if he had a modern day roster, which the Rockets are, I I, I don't think it's a fair knock. I I I think he should be given the opportunity, and I think he, you know, Je- Jeff's a guy who's turned down a lot of jobs over the last few years. I, I think you know the Rockets aren't the first team to call, right? Like. Jeff's had a lot of teams call him, but he has such a comfy job there in a- uh, at ABC. And he's had, you know, I mean, he has a daughter. He, he wants that kind of stability and staying in one place. And I think, I think if the right job came around, he'd be willing to entertain it. And I think the Rockets are definitely the kind of job I would define as the right kind of job, like a team that's ready to contend right away. I think if that, if that kind of job came, I think, I think Jeff would li- more than listen to that kind of an offer. I would think, and you know, the relationship with Maury, I mean, to Jeff, the right job means management, you know, support of management and, uh, you know, and people he wants to work with. And, you know, Maury's interesting to work with as a, for a coach in that he does give, and his guys do, you know, not just him, but the, the basketball operations staff provides a lot of information, input, you might even call it, but they don't interfere. And you know what I mean? Like the, this is right. what here's information you can use, but they don't tell you what to do or expect you to do what they say. You know, they're just for you. They just want you to consider and look at it and think about, you know, have this information. Um, and so Jeff to, to Jeff, what matters most is who you're working with. And I think he would consider that a plus here, not to mention he's Mr. Houston, which I will tell you when he moved here, I said, you know, you're going to, this is where you'll stay. You're never going to leave. And he didn't believe, ah, get out of here. No, you're going to live in Houston. You're going to stay in Houston. And I, now I didn't think he'd become the president of the chamber of commerce, but <laughs> you know, which by the way, I wouldn't be at all surprised if the Dan Tony settle here too, when, when he's done coaching. You yeah. He, it's, it's kind of a, an over under game, like for the amount of times Jeff and Gundy mentions Bucky on a broadcast, right? Like, it, oh, it, it, there's that. <laughs> but you know, in everything, I mean, my gosh, the guy is like, you know, the biggest Texans fan you're ever going to see. And you know, it's just, he's so into all, he's just totally into Houston. And I, I, if I had to pick right now, I, 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 now I, I would think, the D'Antonis will keep their home in West Virginia as well. But I bet you when he retires, he's he, he's going to live here. That With the stuff that they said, 
they meant every word about working with the community and the business leaders and some of their charitable efforts. And he'd had a ton of his charitable efforts. That meant a lot to them that they liked working with the people here on the things that matter to them. You know, you know, the Harvey relief, the ongoing stuff, you know, Houston, if, if put it this way, if Houston does bring back Jeff is the city of Houston would be, you know, the, one of the major reasons that, you know, it's a great city. And, you know, going back to our part of the conversation, what's the best job out there? And I put this line in my story today. Well, best player, probably the Rockets have the best player. Uh, cap flexibility, you know, I, I guess that would be New Orleans. You know, best city? Ah, oh, we got that. You know, we win best city. And it's a tough competition with New Orleans, Philadelphia, and Chicago in there. No offense to Indianapolis. But, Hey, if, Jeff, if they ever went back to Jeff, you know, hat tip to the city of Houston and Houstonians. Yeah, I mean, a lot of former players live here. And it, it's gotten to the point where, like, it's not even a surprise when you run into one. Like, it, it's just like, oh, yeah, there, there's Shaquille O'Neal over there. Like, there's there's Rashard Lewis over there, right? There's Tracy McGrady over there. Like, they're just scattered throughout the city of Houston. Uh, once players, like, realize how great it is to live here and, you know, how dirt cheap, cheap it is to live here, I mean, it, it's just, it, it's a great place to live. It is, it definitely is. Um, Best and- people in the country. <laughs> great food too great food good culture great great foodie city uh, i don't mm-hmm. know how many people are picking it for that reason but great foodie city a better question to me about jeff is what you mentioned earlier about his demeanor and his like for the modern superstar right and will that intense personality work get along with someone like harden or russell westbrook and you know like the rockets are coming off as you said like a really laid back guy in mike d'antoni and like you know daryl's his public statements have been pretty consistent like they don't want to go and they don't want to swerve in an opposite direction like that. Jeff would definitely, from a personality perspective, be that kind of a swerve, right? Well, like, not as much as you think. Like, yes, like what we always saw in media, what the public always saw. But they saw the goofy Jeff that you hear on broadcast now. The players got to see that. You know, there was one time we were in Washington and he was trying to do a dunk contest where he was the guy dunking. You know, you can imagine how that went. Uh, so the silliness that Jeff has as part of his personality, which people did not know until he went into broadcasting, the team did know. You know yeah, they, it surprised I, me. It definitely surprised me. It threw me off guard. Well, we used to have an expression that I think I didn't make it up. Uh, and so I'm not sure who made it up, uh, but I used it a lot of summer Jeff. And because in the in the season you pass Jeff in a hallway and he doesn't even turn his head. He's getting on an elevator and he's just thinking, thinking, thinking. You know the really intense. But in the summer you get the goofy guy. And so the first year he was here with the Rockets, they were still at West Side in the summertime, and it wasn't until you know shortly before the season they moved into Toyota Center. So the organization never saw summer Jeff until after a year of regular season Jeff. And I kept telling them, there's something called Summer Jeff, you know, where he would go into the dining room and just sit down and eat with the staff and goof around with them. Or he'd go up to the ticket level, the fifth level, and he'd ring the bell, you know, and and hang around with the ticket salespeople. You know, all the stuff that, you know, you're going to see it. You just didn't see it last year because they were across town at Westside. 
And so players do see that. They get the super intense guy, but they do see sort of his sillier side too. Yeah, and like the 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 point you talk about with like him being super intense and locked in, that really is like a Pat Riley tree uh quality, right? Like all those coaches like that, Steve Clifford, Tom Thibodeau, um, you know, Pat Riley was like that obviously, and you know, that that really is a quality that they uniquely possess in terms of like oh you know there's legendary stories about these guys being locked in the film room and like you know watching tons hours and hours and hours of tape and stuff like that and in reality like Jeff really is an affable guy like he really is like like I mean you you'll see him in Toyota Center during these games that he calls he'll come in and talk to the media eat some popcorn right like that yeah. that's the kind of dude he is really laid back when he's not on the job but when he's on the job totally different personality, totally different personality. I think I, I remember reading some, uh, a quote from Tracy McGrady, uh, about how the players were afraid whether or not to laugh at his jokes. Like they weren't sure. They weren't sure whether or not to laugh at Jeff Van Gundy's jokes. Cause he just had that intense demeanor. But once you got to know him a little bit, uh, you know, it, it was very much a break the ice kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also keep in mind, Jeff also, and goes back to Riley, and it's true of Tibbs and Steve Clifford. Although Steve Clifford, you know, if you don't like Steve Clifford, there's something really wrong with you. But, you know, these guys always get real tight with their the leaders of that team, you know. And this goes back to Pat Riley. I mean, Pat Riley and Magic Johnson, you know, it goes, you know, it goes way back that – they always develop a really good relationship, and certainly that was true for Jeff. I mean, Patrick Ewing would walk through fire for him, you know, and they just so yeah, that relationship stuff going from D'Antoni to Jeff, I don't think would be an issue. Uh, and plus, D'Antoni could be pretty intense too. He wouldn't be, you know, just you can walk in and just shoot the bull with him, you know, and he wouldn't be intense then, or you pass him in a hallway or whatever it would be. But, you know, during games, D'Antoni would chew him out when he wanted to, you know, he'd be intense and angry and, you know, the whole, the whole thing. And uh, obviously we know Jeff is that way, but uh, he, he knows how to balance it. Definitely. Well, listen, I've wasted far too much of your time today with my technology snafus. Uh, thank you so much for coming on today, Jonathan. Uh, where can we find some of your work? Uh, HoustonChronicle.com. It's actually all, it's much easier these days to find than ever before because uh, it all is on HoustonChronicle.com. And so just one word, HoustonChronicle.com. And, you know, follow me on Twitter and I link to my stuff all the time. Uh, Jonathan underscore Fagan. And I appreciate your asking. That's very kind of you. And, uh, hey, you can watch our TV show nowadays, too, the Texas Sports Nation show on Sunday nights. So uh, I got to get better looking somehow. Go read read Jonathan's work on HoustonChronicle.com. Make sure to follow him on Twitter if you're not already doing so. Uh, Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Make sure to give us five stars on iTunes because it helps people find the show. And, yeah, guys, thank you so much.